Well, throughout this year, I've been preaching through the book of Genesis, looking specifically at the life of Abraham. And last week, we looked at Genesis 19 and how it described God's judgment of the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you missed last week, or if you just are maybe a little forgetful and don't remember everything super sharply, your quick recap of last week is sin is bad. It's really bad. And God judges sin. Like that was kind of the just, sin is bad. And so this week, we are going to be looking at Genesis 19 again. Not because we didn't get the message, sin is bad, but we are going to be looking at this chapter over two weeks. But instead of splitting it up, looking at these verses and then these verses, we're going to look at this theme and now this theme. And so we looked last week at God's judgment on sin. And this week, we're going to look at how we should respond to that judgment or the announcement of that judgment, that God is going to judge sin. Now, this is a rough chapter. I'm sorry we have to read it two times, but my disclaimer is twofold for this chapter. First, I'm going to try to be careful and sensitive with my language as I tried to do last week, knowing we have a lot of children in the room and the subject matter is is difficult. And, And second, if you're like, hey, he didn't talk about this, it's probably because we talked about it last week. And so if it feels like not everything is covered, we were in this chapter last week. You also are welcome to use this outline in this extra thick bullets in here uh, to help follow along. But we are in Genesis chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 38. The whole chapter and the story of God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. We're looking especially at how all the different humans in the story respond to the announcement of God's judgment. Genesis 19, beginning in verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, Both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, 
so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place! For the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, And we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father." 
So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank You for Your Word. There are certainly some passages of Scripture that we love to remember and cherish. We may write them on greeting cards. We may decorate our houses with them. And this is certainly not one of those places. It's a hard passage showing us the wickedness of sin, the failure of mankind. And yet it is true and it is still inspired and useful for us. And so, Lord, I pray that You would please use me in spite of my own sinfulness and wickedness to faithfully proclaim Your Word, to expound and apply it clearly. And that You would give us all ears to hear. That You would open our hearts and minds to receive Your truth today. That You, O God, would work through Your Word and Your Spirit in answer to our prayers that we might become more like Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Well, it's just as bad this week as it was last week having to hear all of that again. But today, instead of looking at all of the wickedness of sin, we are more specifically looking at the human characters and specifically how they respond to God's judgment. We're going to look at all of their wrong responses to God's judgment. Lots of bad examples in this story and see if we can then piece together what is the right way to respond to God's judgment. If here's a whole bunch of ways not to, what is the way we should respond? And so before turning to Lot, who's the main human character in this story, we're going to look at four minor characters in Genesis 19 and how they serve as bad examples. The first minor characters we're looking at are Lot's potential sons-in-law, and they're mentioned in verse 14. It says, So Lot went out, And said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Those two men were warned that God was going to judge and destroy the city. But they assumed Lot was joking. They did not take the warning seriously, and they ended up dying when God rained fire and sulfur down from heaven. They had all the information they needed in order to escape, and yet they died. Why would they have thought Lot was joking? Well, perhaps they thought the very idea of judgment from God was laughable. After all, it says Lot went out to these men. And so if all the men of Sodom are a part of this mob, where do you think you're going to find your sons-in-law? That's where they are. And they had likely been a part of that mob on other occasions, and the city was not destroyed then. So why would this time be any different? The very fact that judgment had never happened before was enough proof for them that judgment wasn't going to happen. 
But they were wrong. It happened. Perhaps it wasn't so much the message as it was the messenger. Even though they were engaged to be married to Lot's daughters, that doesn't mean they respected Lot. The mob talks about Lot as a sojourner, a foreigner, that he's still viewed as an outsider. He's not one of them. And so why should they believe this weirdo when he says that his God is going to judge them? Why believe that? In our world today, people can laugh at the idea of God judging people for sin. They've never seen that judgment before. So that means it's not going to happen. It appears to them there is no such thing as divine judgment. And many people look down on those who speak of such judgment, who warn others of hell and God's judgment. Those people are just fundamentalists who wrongly think a loving God would punish people for his sin. But just as Lot's potential sons-in-law were wrong, so also are those who laugh at the idea of God's judgment. God will judge. He has warned And his judgment is coming. It is no laughing matter. The second minor character we see in our passage is Lot's wife. We hear almost nothing about Mrs. Lot. And what we do here is straight up confusing. Verse 26. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, I imagine most of us have a very clear mental image of what is happening in this passage because we have seen this kind of thing in movies before. They're running. They're running to get away from the disaster. It's one of those disaster movies. And she stumbles and she falls. And the camera zooms in on her. And as she's pushing herself up, she turns back and instantly that evil, malicious, unforgiving God turns her into stone or salt, I guess, which is just as weird. And that's what we think happens. And that's possible. It is possible. I think it's unlikely, but it's possible. What we should see is that Lot's wife disobeyed a direct order from the angel. The angel said in verse 17, Escape for your life. Do not look back. Lot's wife disobeyed. And she was destroyed. Note also that Lot's wife was behind him. Again, we're probably thinking Lot is just like booking it. You know, he's a cross-country runner. He's going super fast. But in the next few, like we read, he's like, no, I'm way too slow. Okay? So it's not that he's like just super fast and she's behind him. So why is she behind him? Lot lingered. Perhaps she lingered even more. Lamenting the destruction of her home. She did not want to give up what God was condemning. One preacher says, Lot's wife experienced the fate of the city that she identified with. That her heart was set on this wicked world. And the angels had called her to abandon that place of wickedness and follow God to safety. She knew the world was wicked, and yet she didn't want to leave it. Jesus uses her as an example in our New Testament reading. He says, remember Lot's wife. She sought to preserve her life in this world, but she lost her life in God's judgment. 
And so we should ask ourselves as well, are we merely dabbling in the things of God while our heart is set on this world? Or are our our eyes fixed on the kingdom of God, longing for the day when Jesus returns and makes all things new? What is our heart set on? Where are our eyes fixed? We need to remember Lot's wife. The third minor character we should look at in this passage is Abraham. And you might be thinking, now wait a second. What does Abraham do wrong here? And to be fair, he doesn't do anything wrong. He is not a bad example in the sense that he has done anything immoral or sinful. Abraham is just in a bad position. He has a bad perspective on what's going on. He cannot see clearly what is happening in Sodom. He sees the smoke rising in judgment of Sodom, but he cannot see Lot and his daughters escaping. Similarly, we cannot perfectly see the specifics of God's judgment. We want to, but we can't see it perfectly. And so that leads us to one of two errors. On the one hand, we can develop a haughty sense of overconfidence when it comes to God's judgment. That we think we know every single person's salvation status. But we don't know the hearts of men and women. The disciples lived with Judas Iscariot for three years. And it wasn't until after his betrayal that they were like, wait, him? That guy? They didn't know. Yes, we can see some evidences of faith that give us assurance, but we should not overestimate our ability to see the righteous and the wicked perfectly. On the other hand, we can sometimes develop a sense of despair for people we love who have died without clearly professing faith in Jesus. There are many of these people in our nation and certainly here in our local community. People who have some general faith in God, some knowledge about who Jesus is, but they lack other evidence of saving faith. And in so many ways, they seem no different from the world around them. And we might assume that they will suffer the judgment that this world will suffer. Abraham might have assumed that of Lot, that all of Sodom was gone. But he was wrong. God pulled Lot and his daughters to safety. And so we should not presume to know the exact specifics of judgment in every single particular case. Instead, we can trust God's judgment is a good thing. And He knows the hearts of the ones we love better than we know them ourselves. And so we should learn from Abraham and his bad perspective. The fourth minor characters we should then look at are Lot's two daughters. And their story is not a pretty story. In fact, it probably makes you squirm like it makes me squirm. But we should learn from that story. What should we learn? Well, they escaped God's judgment on wickedness, and yet they resort to wickedness when faced with difficulty. See, their desire to have children is an admirable desire. 
but they pursue that desire in Sodom style. They get someone drunk, they sexually violate someone for their own desires, and they engage in a perversion of God's natural order. That's what Sodom does. We see that these two women fail to learn the lessons of God's grace and God's judgment. That wouldn't you think that after being saved and pulled to safety by God's messengers, you'd be grateful and be like, how should I live now? Now that they have been extracted from Sodom, shouldn't they strive to live differently from that wicked city? But instead of considering better alternatives, they revert to sinful patterns. They don't look to the God who saved them for guidance. Don't you think God could have come up with any solution better than the solution they came up with? If only they had thought to go, hey God, I got a problem. Perhaps a solution would have presented itself. They return to doing the very things that God had just judged Sodom for. And so we also should learn and ask, do we say we believe that God has saved us and then deny that belief by the way that we continue to live? By how we respond to difficulty? By how we pursue what we desire? Do we go about those things in the way God would have us or the way the world does? So looking at those four minor characters, we see all sorts of bad examples, but now we need to turn to the main human character, Lot. And as we talked about last week, we want Lot to be a good guy, but his actions continue to reveal that he falls way short of what we would want a hero to do. And so I want to highlight three ways that Lot wrongly responds to judgment. And quickly, we, we see early in the chapter that Lot makes that terrible offer of his daughters. We're not talking about that today. We talked about that last week. That was not a response to judgment. Don't worry, Lot messes up in plenty of other ways. Okay. So the first way he's a bad example is he lingers. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. These verses come immediately after Lot has told his sons-in-law like the same exact thing. Up! Get out! And now the angels are having to tell him, Up! Get out! What caused him to linger? It's hard to think that disaster is coming when everyone around you doesn't see that disaster. Perhaps the others who ignored him and mocked him caused him to doubt the urgency of the warning. When you see so many others unconcerned about judgment, why should you be concerned? And so Lot might have slowed his pace, took his time packing bags, thought, you know what? I could use a power nap before we go on this journey out of the city. We too can linger in sin, feeling that repentance can wait until tomorrow, feeling that we don't need to do anything too drastic to turn away from sin. But thankfully, the angels grabbed Lot by the hand and dragged him out of the city because he would have died. 
So Lot's a bad example in how he lingers. The second way Lot is a bad example is that he complains about the escape route. The angels tell Lot and his daughters, get out, flee for the hills, get as far away as possible, as fast as possible. And Lot essentially is like, oh man, like that sounds really hard. I'm winded already. And do you know my ankles? They get like really sore. Can't we just hide over here? Like this is far enough, right? You can just fix this because I'm just, I'm spent. That's like if you're in Gotham City in danger and Batman saves you and puts you in the Batmobile and you're like, hey, could you like keep it under 40 because I get car sick? Like who does that? You're getting saved. Don't complain about getting out. And God tells us what we must do to be saved. Repent and believe. We don't get to negotiate what the sins are that He wants us to repent of. We don't get to change God's escape route and, say, and think, God, I'd really like it if all I have to do is say this one quick prayer one time in my life and then I can just go do whatever I want to do. Can that be the escape route? The Lord says that is not the escape route. The escape route is to repent of sin and to flee from it. To trust in Jesus, to follow Him and strive to obey His commands. That is the escape route that God has mercifully provided. And then the third way we see Lot as a bad example is how he gets paralyzed by fear. In verse 30 we read, Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters. For he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in the cave with his two daughters. Now it's not exactly clear what makes him afraid. Um, If I had to guess, he's like, I want some place that has a a strong roof over my head so the next time fire and sulfur come raining down, I'd like to not be out in the open. So how about this cave? has a nice strong roof over my head. We don't know why he was so afraid, but he certainly planned on living the rest of his days in that cave. And what Lot shows us in that behavior is the importance of being saved for something. God does not just save us from judgment. He saves us for life as His holy people. God does not want us to hide in holes afraid of the dangerous, wicked world around us. God does not want us hiding in holes afraid that if I sin, fire is going to fall from heaven and kill me. No. He wants people to go And to live as His people. To trust Him and obey His commands, knowing He will forgive us if we sin and confess. Lot should have seen Sodom's destruction as an opportunity for a fresh start. But he never started. And you're left to wonder, maybe it was that Lot was too afraid to look for Uncle Abraham. Ashamed that he'd be returning with his tail between his legs. This outcast of Sodom, very much like the prodigal son, returning with nothing left to him. And you can see how maybe the cave was his safe option, even if it was the wrong one. So Genesis 19 gives us just this collage of bad examples. 
of responding to God's judgment. And so we have to look at all of these and go, okay, well, how, how should we respond to God's judgment? What is the right way? Let's, let's piece together a right response. And so first, we should flee sin. Instead of lingering in sin like Lot, instead of laughing at the prospect of judgment like his sons-in-law, we should repent of sin like it is going to kill us. Repentance should not wait until tomorrow. We should not longingly look at our sinful habits like we are Lot's wife. We should set our eyes on the Lord who has called us out of darkness and into his light. So we should flee from sin. Second, we should have gratitude for the grace of God. While we should repent and we are called to repent, it is not us changing our lives that saves us. We give thanks that we have a merciful God that grabs us by the hand and pulls us to safety. He does that through the Holy Spirit who takes hold of our hearts as He works through the Word of God producing in us godly repentance and saving faith. And we should be thankful that God ensures that all His people make it to safety. And then third, we should live with and for God because we are not merely saved from danger. We are saved for a new life with God. And so instead, do not live in a cave of fear. Do not return to your old sinful habits, but devote yourself to living for the merciful God who saved you. Don't feel ashamed to come to the God who promises judgment, thinking He is going to condemn you if you are confessing. No, we have a merciful God who has sent someone to save us. You see, that someone is Jesus. That someone has set up this meal that we are about to partake of. And in this meal, we see a way that we can flee from sin. We repent of our sin and we confess our sin and we humbly come to the table acknowledging that we have for too long been in sin and we want to get away. And we celebrate with gratitude the grace of God that Jesus took the judgment we deserve that we can be saved. And we are nourished and strengthened by the Spirit to go and live as His people, not in shame, not in fear, but joyfully living in the light of God's Word. So let us pray. Lord, we pray that You would help us to respond rightly. We know that we need You to pull us by the hand into the good path, that so often we linger, so often we look longingly at the world. We pray, O oh Lord, that like those angels grabbed Lot, that You would mercifully pull us away from sin. And we pray that you would keep us from fear and shame, but you would help us to live for you. To never be ashamed of coming to you in our sin, but to know that you delight to forgive us and restore us and wrap your loving arms around us. We pray that for each and every one here. In Jesus' name, amen.